0: What is happening? Everyone, welcome to episode one sixty one of your favorite podcast, the Gordan Eye Podcast. I'm your host, alongside my co-host Brandon. Lung. And today we have another episode of the Listeners Podcast, where you guys take over and I just answer whatever you guys need. Inside, this is the best one yet, I will say. Inside, there's a ton of information, so have your notepads ready. As always, Gordan Eye Podcast brought to you by Revive. So much brought to you by Raw so I'm Just Go to at checkout. Please leave us a five star rating and review to be entered into the one hundred dollar weekly Amazon gift card giveaway i'm really excited for this podcast it's a really good one you guys did a fantastic job and i appreciate you guys as always i'll see you inside all right you guys these are actually my favorite episodes to do honestly is the listeners episodes the q a's because you guys ask such good questions today's actually the first time i've gotten over 100 questions for the podcast q a which is really freaking cool it means you guys are engaged these guys are enjoying these um you like the in-depth answers usually for like an ig q a it's like or 500 questions, it's wild. Usually for a podcast Q&A, it's like 40 to 50, and yeah, over 100, that's really dope, and that was only 10 hours. So I really appreciate, um, I, as always, I appreciate you guys a ton, um, but without further ado, let's go ahead and get started on question number one.
1: All right, let's do it. Reducing carbs versus fats in a prep. Differences between enhanced and natural athletes.
0: Yes, I wanted to cover this topic because yesterday I shared Megan's post on my IG, and you'll see your fats are between like 15 and 20, which is very low. Um, And really, I I actually, they they might be closer to 10 to 20. Uh, She might be under 15 some days. But because we started utilizing enhancements. Um, And so the reason we want to keep fats commonly stable at a certain minimum point here during a prep uh is because we want that endocrine system functioning to stay as upticked as possible, if you will. Um and well where does that come from? It pulls from the fats. It pulls from the cholesterol, uh and that's how the hormones are made, right? Well when someone's enhanced, the fats don't matter as much. So you're not going to get the same usage of that fat energy intake as you will like in a natural prep because your endocrine system is being manipulated by yourself and you're handling that and you took that into your own hands. Um, So fat can be dropped a little lower than that, you know, low end threshold point as long as your coach knows how to recover you from there. um, I guess that's the unfortunate part is there's a lot of people have no clue how to recover from there. So If we're talking about natural people pulling fats, carbs, well, how close are we to that minimum point, um, you know, of fats, Uh, but also when we drop carbs, um, you know, we're, we're, what the goal of a carb drop is, is to see lower from my end, is to see lower circulating blood glucose throughout the day, right, if we have less circulating blood glucose, the chances that we're able to mobilize more fatty acids throughout the day and throughout our activity are much higher, right? So we utilize carbohydrates as a manipulation variable of that right there, right? So we want enough carbs to be able to perform um, in the gym. We don't want too many for circulating blood glucose to be, you know, high all day or have, um, you know, we don't, want to have bolus if it's not needed uh, throughout the day it's going to cause insulin spikes and what honestly cause insulin spikes throughout the day um, you know deep into a contest prep might not be the most optimal route to prep because it's probably going to cause some sort of brain fog um, along the way whereas if we can just keep insulin more stable throughout the day rather than have it really 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 low because you're in a dining state and then boom you know we have 180 fucking carbs and it's way up it's in the 150s your, your BG's in the 150s where it's usually running like 70-80 all day you're not going to feel too well right so we manipulate it based off the performance we manipulate it based off of yeah someone's natural or enhanced um but at the end of the day, it's all, it's, there's a lot of, there's a huge element of this is just fucking experience, man. You just kind of know what lever to pull and when to pull it because you fucked up so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that was a really good question.
1: Nice. All right. Number two, Masteron of women in a contest prep, good or bad idea?
0: Yeah. Masteron's perfectly fine. So with Masteron, like I wouldn't run it in an off season phase. Cause you're not going to get a ton of muscular growth. It's, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's it's not an aromatizing compound, which you know obviously makes the side effects much less than you know something like um, an MPP that does aromatize. Even though an MPP in a female is honestly really fucking safe, um, you know, aromatizes a little bit, um, you know. Th- testosterone obviously aromatizes um so this you know this is going to be more it's a uh, hard it's going to make it's going to, it's gonna to it's gonna allow your physique to be harder it's going to rise DHT it's going to allow physique to be harder it's going to you know yeah, make you look more aesthetically pleasing if you are in a uh, division where conditioning is a huge priority, like a women's physique, um, or even sometimes figure, based on the body type and how the body fat dropping kind of looks on the physique, how the aesthetic of the physique plays out. Um, but I'm I'm great with master on in prep. I mean, I have uh, so I mean, off the top of my head, I have five five girls taking it right now. At the top of my head, all in contest prep settings, they're all seeing fantastic results from it it's also nice to stack in a contest prep setting, um, with something like an MPP, uh, because we're able to manipulate that, um, aromatizing to a non aromatizing, uh, ratio. Well, but MPP is going to kind of keep you fuller, kind of keep your training performance up where it's master on kind of come in, keep that androgenic, uh, ratio better. Um, but, you know, also kind of mitigate some of the, um, bloat that MPP could give you. Uh, we're actually going to talk about MPP in this podcast. Uh, the MPP could give you, um, and also really just promote you to look hard. So Masteron's great. Not going to do a ton of performance, uh, but it's going to do a lot for aesthetic. Nice. And it's very safe. It's very freaking safe to run as well. Um, as long as you have a coach who knows how to run it, it's very, very, very safe.
1: So. Biggest mistake you see in-person trainers making?
0: Oh, yeah, man. Taking their client for granted. Um, so what in-person trainers don't understand is, you know, Yeah, for you, this is your 10th, 11th, 12th client of the day. For your client, this is their one breakaway from their normal structure and routine where they get to just be in the gym working on themselves and focusing on themselves. So give them your all. You know, it's difficult to show up for every single person. I was an in-person trainer with a full fucking book, with an overworked book. Um, I remember it was... It was 5 a.m. to 10.30 a.m., and then it was 3.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. That was Monday through Friday. Dude, as a trainer, that's a brutal schedule. It's hard, man. It's hard, and there's two, three people, and each of those hour gaps. It's brutal. But you have to bring it every day. And if you establish special connections with your clients, well, number one, they're going to stick around. Number two, they're going to see better results. But number three, it makes your job less of a job and more of hanging out with your friends and being able to push your friends throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And I was really fortunate to be able to kind of culminate that when I was in Cincinnati and I was training people in person. Um, So, you know, give give that client your all, dude, they're right in front of you, they're paying you, you know, in-person training is it's not cheap. It's a hefty amount of money. Um, give that client your best because the reality is, they can replace you really. Fun. You can they can replace you way easier than you can replace mm-hmm.
1: them. There's always someone doing it cheaper yeah, as well.
0: Cheaper and they'll yep. give them more attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so give them your all. Focus on them. Stay locked into the session. You can talk to the people outside of that session later on. You know they'll be there. Nothing is as important as the client that's in front of you.
1: Right on. Yeah, I like that a lot. What are your thoughts on powerlifting-style training with bodybuilding-style nutrition?
0: So bodybuilding-style nutrition is going to be protein-heavy, it's going to be carb-heavy, and it's going to be fast to supply the endocrine system, right? Um, Powerlifting-style training is not near intense enough to handle bodybuilding-style diet unless you have a very genetically blessed metabolism or digestive system. That's just the reality. powerlifting training is very hard neurologically, not extremely hard musculoskeletal musculoskeletally outside of connective tissue right It's not like you're putting a ton of blunt trauma on the muscle that it has that your body has to facilitate a shit ton of energy um, in order to repair and recover right powerlifting, I mean, I know a shit ton of powerlifters with terrible fucking diets that show up and you know still improve in their sport because the diet doesn't mean near as much. Now it's still important. And high level powerlifters, they definitely nailed the diet mm-hmm. for sure. They nailed the diet, right. but the reality is, you can improve without a strong diet. Now, you want to if you want to eat like a bodybuilder, you better train like one. You're gonna get fucking fat. Yep, that's just the reality of it. Um, your blood your, your blood glucose will go up. Your body fat percentage will go up because um, you're. You know, you you need to be fueled differently for powerlifting than you do bodybuilding. And honestly, you're probably going to have a lot of gluconeogenesis if you eat that much protein because your body just doesn't need to repair and replace, replace and repair that much damaged protein because there's not the same level of muscular damage between the two. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a really good question. Yeah, I
1: think so. I think it's a good one. Yeah. Because, like, when you think about, you know, like, the energy it takes to... Perform like a, like a working set, yeah. You know, for brutal. us, brutal. Like, as as opposed to a power lifter, a working yeah. set might be like five. Yeah, you know yeah, what I
0: The volume's just so much it's, less, yeah, exactly. And their heart rate stays so much lower, mm-hmm. which means the blood is so much lower, mm-hmm. which means the available energy needed for usage is going to be lower. Um, you know all of those. Not sandwiches. saying it's not hard. No, it's very hard. It's very hard. But like the reality is, bodybuilding and dieting is for bodybuilding. Yep. You know, it's just like NBA players. If bodybuilders ate like NBA players, they'd all be fucking fat. Yep. Right? Like NBA players dude. NBA players need to find find the best wings near them and just hang out there all day and just fucking eat mm-hmm. and play basketball and eat wings and cheese sticks and fried shit and play basketball like. NBA players, if bodybuilders started eating like NBA players, they'd all be fucking fat as mm-hmm. shit because we don't need that much energy. Mm-mm. Like, they expend so much more, and they have such a more grueling schedule than we have, mm-hmm. right? So, like, every sport has its pros and cons. Like, um, it's not like bodybuilding is this massive end-all all. It's the hardest thing in the world. No, NBA, training for the NBA is way fucking be Like harder. a combination of both. Yeah. Both, yeah. both diets. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. Do bikini competitors not need as long of an offseason or do most just rush back into prep?
0: Yeah, most do rush back into prep prematurely, which, you know, I don't agree. That's why we don't see a ton of massive changes, you know, time over time. I think look at people like Nadia, who was a national champion last year. Um, Look at Megan, who's obviously improved so much since we started together. You know, Megan was competing a lot before we started together. She was competing, competing, competing. competing. There wasn't a ton of progress, Mm -hmm. right, because she wasn't gone from the stage long enough. Um, Nadia's always taken a slow and steady approach of compete, compile feedback, improve. Compete, compile feedback, improve. There's less drugs in bikini, um, or there should be less drugs in bikini, which affect the rate of growth you can have, obviously. It, you know Someone who's enhanced um, running actual stacks is going to improve, is going to put on muscle tissue faster than someone who's not. But you know the reality is outside of like some Anivar and Turinable or outside of some and or I mean I'm fine with MPP at any female division because MPP is naturally occurring in the female body and it's really difficult to find side effects with MPP and females usage. Right. I've never had I've never had one of my girls use MPP have side effects to the MPP uh, because it's naturally occurring in, in, in the and in a decent value in the the females body. Um, so I don't. But that being said. I say that, and I have not a single bikini girl utilizing MVP right now. Right now yeah. But I would, mm-hmm. like I, I, you know, I, I would have. If you no did. What's a, How that. long
1: would you run that for?
0: I mean, MPP, so it's all kind of based off the biofeedback, but, you know, I like keeping it around 8 to 12-week cycles. I think it's a good place to be. But, I mean, MPP, I mean, dude, I've had it run out to 20 weeks before. with no issues with, with people, right. not just with someone, with people. Right. Um, it, I don't know MPP and testosterone, too, um, when a female takes tests, um, you know, in the right dosage. I mean, your, your body produces testosterone. Mm-hmm. You are giving it a bioidentical hormone. If someone tells you, oh, my God, a female should never take testosterone, dude, they literally couldn't know less about not even pharmacology. They don't even know enough about fucking biology mm-hmm. to be able to have an opinion, right? But you just have to be careful with the dosing because, like, your body produces, what, 2 to 4 milligrams of testosterone a week about. So it's like, you know, if you're dosing 10 milligrams a week, that's two and a half times what your body's putting out. You know, you go 20 milligrams of test a week is a ton of yeah. test. Right, um, and you know, I I think around ten milligrams, people are going to see a ton of result without much risk. Um, but testosterone, you walk a very fine line, and you know, but that's not what, like MPP. If you're dosing it right, you can run it a long time, a very long. It's bioidentical. Right. It's it's happening mm-hmm. in your body. Mm-hmm. Like the body doesn't make Premable and it doesn't make Anavar. Doesn't yeah. the body creates MPP? Mm-hmm. Or the body creates testosterone. Yeah, it's already familiar with. Yeah, that. so people are like. Anavar is, you know, so much better for women. No, it's literally, it's literally by definition of biology. I don't make the rules; I enforce the rules. It's so much better for the body. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, uh, there's too many uneducated people talking about drugs, and like, it's that's so fucking frustrating. obviously, yeah. it fucking pisses me off. Yep. But to get back to the question, bikini girls should take the same amount of all season as everybody else, right? You got to put on the tissue, you got to change your shape more so, which is a byproduct of the tissue, but that's even more important than a tissue is changing your shape. You have to allow your body to get fucking healthy. Um, like the bikini division is the least healthy division in the sport. not wild? Really? And not just fucking wild, mm-hmm. because they're all just, uh, not all, I'm heavily generalizing there. My girls aren't, they are promoted to be prep abusers.
1: Yeah, they just compete, get ran compete, into the compete, ground. Compete, compete,
0: compete, Eight fucking shows a year. Like, yeah. man, I, like three shows is like the top. Yeah. That's like the max or if two of those shows are national top five placings and you're healthy enough to push a fourth or we have a chance at a pro card yeah. we will push it. But dude, people are just abusive competitors. Mm-hmm. Honestly, they really are. Yeah. It's sad. So too. it's sad to see it, it. It is sad to see. We've had some friends fucked up by mm-hmm. that. Unfortunately.
1: All right. Optimal body fat when an off season, when have you gone too far?
0: Yeah, so you've gone too far when your biofeedback measures are out of control, blood glucose, Um, you know, if you're waking up every morning and it's over 105, you're too far. If you're waking up some mornings, it's like, today it's 100, you know, yesterday it's 92, tomorrow it's 97. Dude, we might still have a little bit more to push. Is that optimal? No, but the reality is we utilize insulin to fill a lot of gaps here, Mm -hmm. right? Um, If if you, like, truly... I don't mean feel fat in terms of, like, emotionally. I look in the mirror and I don't see my abs when I'm used to seeing my abs. No, like, when you feel fat, you you know. Yeah, you don't have to guess. Right, uh-huh. Yeah, and, like, most people aren't able to make that because they're too emotional with their body fat percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the other reality is you want to pack on a ton of mass the fastest way possible and get fucking fat. Yeah, Honestly, like get 15% body fat, push that fucking load, utilize that leverage that you have with the excess crap on yep. your body mm-hmm. and put it, you know, lift heavier loads than you've ever been able to before. And your body is going to, you know, you're going to build a lot of tissue on that. But like the idea is to pull emotion away from it. How do you feel? You feel good? Then you're probably good. Mm-hmm. Um, most people, you um, if emotion's involved, they don't want to be over 10%. Yeah. If you're at 10% all year, you're not going to. You're talking about physically. As you much. feel good. Yeah, I'm talking. Fi- pull the emotion away. Yeah. When you go for a walk, how do you feel? Mm-hmm. You're a little bit winded after the walk. You're 270 pounds. It doesn't matter if you're 4% or 15%. 270, you're winded after the walk.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How'd you feel during the fucking walk? Like, Is your stomach pressing against your fucking chest when you're walking and crouching down? Is it hard to put your shoes on? Joints hurt. Joints hurt Mm -hmm. really bad. Your sleep's poor. You can't get comfortable in bed. Cause you're a little too fat. Like those are the things that we look for here, but digestion is going to tell us that you're too fat before anything else. will honestly, your hunger will be shot. You won't, you won't be hungry at all. Um, like you will literally have zero hunger. If you're too fat, you'll have zero hunger. Or if honestly, if you're getting close to being too fat, you'll have zero hunger. Um, so yeah, that's just kind of some of the ways you have to pull the emotion, pull emotion out of progress progress. Just just progress. You want to win shows? Do what it takes to progress. And that's where you're going to be the best off. I agree.
1: Is slow weight loss normal at the start of prep?
0: Yes, just a good question. Yes, it is for a couple of reasons, but number one, there's a psychological component that a lot of people see who are newer to competing. Not necessarily the first show, but even like second, third preps are just people who are just like They've done preps, but they've never really put their mind into, like, what's going... Like, paying attention to shit, right? You start training harder, and, you know, you have cardio now, and, you know, you're really dialed in across the board, so there's going to be some more inflammation from the training, from the cardio, that's going to, you know, make that scale, um, you know, a little bit higher than normal, um, but at some point a prep, that's going to get mitigated, Um but I also I don't want contest prep and fat loss to be synonymous with weight drop, scale weight drop, because I mean the reality is how far can you improve your physique without seeing that scale drop? How far how deep can you get into prep with seeing the smallest scale drop possible? Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, if you're doing the work, if you're forcing body fat to come off of your body, then it's going to come off of your body. If you're forcing muscle to stick around your body through your training, it's going to stick around on your body, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I also say there's people who get into a prep and build muscle because maybe they weren't being as stingy as possible with their protein intake. Maybe their protein intake was set at 400, but they were getting around 340, 360, and they said that was okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no! I'm in prep. I'm getting 400, and I'm training hard. Uh-huh. So now you're going to build muscle because you weren't going hard enough in your off-season, mm-hmm. and now you're all the way in, flip, fully, fucking switch. Like, yep. dude, that matters. Oh, yeah, that's like,
1: 400 grams a week. That's
0: a big fucking yeah. difference that you'll have mm-hmm. there, right? Um, so there's a lot of people that kind of undergo that mm-hmm. element as well. So, did look at the biofeedback and look at your picks. Are you improving or no? If you're improving, don't be worried. All
1: right. Can you elaborate on how you find balance with aromatizing, non-aromatizing compounds
0: within a cycle? Yeah, so I've covered this in a few podcasts, but the safest way to play is have a one-to-one ratio. That means we have for every one milligram of aromatizing compound, like a testosterone, we have one milligram of a non-aromatizing or a very low aromatizing compound, like a primobulin or like a Masteron um, or something of the like. And this is where Masteron can actually really shine in an off-season phase is let's say we have testosterone, we have NPP, and uh, um, maybe some Trend E or something like that. You know, those are very heavily aromatizing compounds. That's going to make for a heavy cycle. We can bring in provirin. We can bring in masteron. We can bring in primabolin to even out dosages and get close to that one-to-one ratio. Now, the more we can push the aromatizing compounds without negative side effects, the more growth you're going to have. The reality is the higher you can push trenbolone or testosterone, or any 19 nor, the higher you can push it without side effect, the better your growth is going to be. There's, I mean, you can't combat that. There's there's no way you can combat that. So we have to now be able to find, where's our sweet spot here? If we go to 1.5 to 1, meaning 1.5 milligrams of aromatizing for every one milligram of non-aromatizing, do you start seeing side effects? If you do, I'd scale back, maybe 1.35 to 1. If you don't, Let's try two. Mm -hmm. Go up to two to one. So now we have 300 tests, 300 MPP, 300 Trini a week. That's 900. And two to one, so that's 450 non-aromatizing. So we have 50 provirin a day um, and 100 milligrams of Masteron a week. Right? Maybe we're able to stay there and... You know, with Proviron, you also want to be very careful crossing your SHBG, so I do recommend actually um, one of the ways I run it is uh, just having time off, like cycling the Proviron in its own mini cycle. And so like, when you're off that Proviron cycle because you don't want to cross that SHBG, we'll actually elevate the Masteron or bring in a Prima Bullen, um, or Even an EchoPoise can bridge the gap depending on how much it aromatizes for you. Because ecopoise is a very bio-individual drug. Anyways, not to get too off topic, we want to find how at what point do we start having side effects, and we want to stay right under that. Mm-hmm. Essentially, all it is. Yeah. For some people, yet have to have non-aromatizing higher than aromatizing, so that would look like if we're running thirteen hundred migs or thirteen fifty migs a week, then we would have um, you know three hundred, Primo three hundred, and Proviron fifty a day. 350 a week Mm -hmm. and then we would have that leaves us um what 350 left over so we'd have like 125 um tests 125 uh trend and like 100 mpp like that's how something like that would look right now that's getting into really advanced and deep cycles right there that's rather advanced pharmacology like what i just laid out um so like don't go doing that shit on your own like have someone who can help you with it um but that's essentially like that. That's what we look for: is what's the sweet spot of not having negative side effects. Um, and whenever nineteen norths come into play, that's really where we. That's really where we want to up it, or if we're going to super te- super dose test, um, which, um, you know, I've done personally and in clients before. Like you're going to go up to two grams of test. You need to have something. Actually, at two grams of test, I didn't have that many sides. Really? Yeah, it was wild. What's, I, what's I a, I what are normal side effects for that? Oh, the normal side effects. You're going to have some acne, some serious mood swings. You're going to, to fuck everything that walks. Um, your SHBG will shoot up pretty fucking high, and you can kind of feel that. It's not fun. Uh, night sweats. Um, a ravenous appetite or no appetite at all. It could go one of either ways. Um, oily skin. Um, some hair falling outs happened before, which is very interesting. Um, I've had that happen before. Um yeah, yeah, like, like things like that. It's, that it's is, not fun. It seems
1: not fun, yeah. Yeah. That's not fun. It's not
0: fun, but I've done two grams of tests three different times. That only happened one time, and that was with a different supplier the other two times as well. I was going to say, so it's you get from the same person? Yeah, very interesting mm-hmm. right there.
1: Absolutely. All right, let's see. Benefits of using NPB versus DECA in a growing phase.
0: Yeah, so I like this question a lot. I'm a huge fan of NPP over DECA. Um, you know, DECA takes longer to onset and is much faster. It's much more immediate. Uh, DECA is also slower to get out. And so that means if you start having negative side effects with DECA, like DECA Dick, which we've all heard of, which is also very common um, or high prolactin uh, from DECA, then you're going to have that prolonged, especially if you're on a long cycle. You're on DECA like 12 weeks or something like that, man, you know, that, that exit value point of the DECA is going to be, it's going to be a while. It might take eight, nine days. Eight, nine days, you can't get a boner. Or if you can't get a boner, you can't come. Have fun. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, that's a miserable fucking life, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that MPP makes you look fuller right away. Um, MPP is like it's like the harder-hitting little brother. And the I, I have found in myself and clients, so a lot of anecdote, the bloat is much less. I use MPP a ton during prep. I... Dude, I use Deca in very few people. Um, if you're a stringy physique, MPP is really good to bring in and keep in the entire time because it's going to make you much fuller. Um, uh, let's see the the. So if you look at like the onset differences in PP, like I said, it's almost instant, and so the effects are going to happen almost right away. But um, the release rate, it's about. 10 to 15% difference, so 100 milligrams every day of MPP, you're going to get about 75 milligrams of actual bioavailable hormone. The same with DECA is about 65 milligrams. If you space out the DECA doses like most people do, the average gets lower, so that 65 milligrams is like the max threshold, Point and the average actually gets gets lower over time. So so such like all in all, MPP has about a 30% higher peak release and a 15% quicker uh release time. So you get more and you get it faster, and then it gets out of you quicker. So like why you know, why wouldn't we run that one? Now the other thing I will say. Sometimes that deck of bloat's not a bad thing for really, really stringy physiques. Some of that bloat can actually kind of serve a purpose. Like, it's bloating your whole physique. It's not like it's just your midsection. Mm -hmm. People, like, think bloating is, like, midsection. No, like, your whole physique kind of looks puffy. It has, like, water. like, holds on to a little bit of water. Um, This can be a good thing for leveraging, again, into your training and stuff like that. So, there's time and a place. Um, You you should probably have some caber or primo on hand or just have access to be able to get it really fast, uh, to combat that prolactin but i find deca increases prolactin at a much higher rate um than mpb actually last time i was single i was running deca that was not fun no that, that was, just, was good. It sounds terrible i, I yeah. had some issues once mm-hmm. that was a little embarrassing and i was like we're stopping deca is... never taking it again
1: mm-hmm. So that's kind of my standpoint. That's, that's a shot to the heart. The fucking is. The head. All of it. It is. I was trying to convert. Yeah.
0: And I couldn't fucking convert because stupid look, ass fucking steroids. Stupid. Yeah, you only get one fucking chance, right? Mm-hmm. I did get another chance, though. Yeah. And I converted on the second chance. Better. <laughs>
1: Do you tell clients no to nationals if they're not Fuck. ready?
0: Yeah. Please finish <laughs> that out.
1: Some coaches tell <laughs> all all they're going pro. Some coaches tell all they're going pro.
0: It's facts. That's what some people do. Um, I take clients to the national stage to represent my culture and my brand. Mm-hmm. My culture, my brand's not second call-outs. it's not third call-outs. You know, we want to be in the mix. You know, we're there to be competitive. I'm not there for a team picture. I'm there for trophies. Um, that's the reality of it. Nationals very expensive. I don't view this as some leisure and pleasure trip. Where we're like, we're going to have fun. I'm viewing this as a business trip. We're, like, we're going to go take care of some things. And we're going to see how good you really are. I'm not going to waste your fucking money. And I'm not going to waste your time. Because that time could be used. Say you do a national show a month after your regional show. And you didn't even win your class in your regional show. But you got second place. And you're nationally qualified. And you go off to nationals. And you just bomb it. That's four weeks of health improvement. That's four weeks of physique improvement. That's four weeks of mental sanity. You just lost. I think it's disrespectful when coaches take people to a national stage that don't have a fucking prayer. Mm-hmm. I think it's disrespectful. It's
1: also a hit to your confidence as a competitor. Yep. You know, you go in there like, oh, I got second place, and then yep. you get third call-outs. Like, yeah. I just, wait, wait, what that's up. Or I, fifth call outs? Yeah.
0: You're. I mean, bikini goes seven, eight calls deep mm-hmm. sometimes. Yep. Have fun. Depending on how
1: big the show is. Have yeah. fun exactly like, yeah that, that, that that's sucks. just unfair to the athlete yeah, I agree too.
0: with that too
1: alright last one what should a true rest day look like
0: yeah I like this question a lot because um, you know my rest day is very lazy um, I focus on getting my client work done I focus on getting the podcast done how, qu- how early in the day can I get everything done which all of that relies on how fast my clients get updates to me wink wink um, <laughs> but you know how fast can I get everything done so I can just chill and like? How can I have a mental, uh, a mentally free day as well? Because mm-hmm. um, my mind needs to catch up and recuperate. Also, a rest day for me. I sit, I hydrate, I eat my food, and I cherish every bite of every meal for sure because I understand how important it is here to, you know, crush this fucking food. Allow my digestive, uh, my my digestive system to you know have ample timing between meals and things like that um in order to best perform tomorrow and i honestly i sit on that couch and I just think about tomorrow's training session, mm-hmm. and so. I—that's kind of the day I assess everything I'm doing, um, in the with training, you know, everything outside training, mat handles. But I sit there and I assess every single thing I'm doing, like what every single movement. I'll go through my logbooks, I'll look at progression rates, I'll look at the, the you know values that I'm hitting and things of the like. But I kind of use that as a full holistic improvement day, mm-hmm. if you will. Yep. Um, and I get really high. Yeah, I, I get extremely saying, high. <laughs>
1: the faster you all the work done yeah the sooner we can get high yeah and obsess over tomorrow's training literally
0: <laughs> we just sit there at night and it's like 8 30 and it's like i cannot wait to train dude, let's or train we always training. say let's do a train yeah like dude it's 8 30 it's tomorrow right we can go train now let's go <laughs> <laughs> let's pull up yeah so dude you guys always ask such good questions i always really appreciate it i hope this has informative this is as informative and fun for you as it is fun for me because i love doing the listeners podcast so for episode 161 i'll see you next time.